sick. They're very humiliating. They dehumanize the people they're going after. They attack character. They try to make crude, sarcastic jokes. And they are being given, or were up until fairly recently, being given a complete... This is David. Um, uh, genetic memory, wisdom teachings. This is actually... Um, published March 2015, David Wilcock, um, and uh, he's talking about these, but it's it still totally applies because, for example, Trump trolls, even though he's gone, his freaking troll army of trolls, his Russian troll army is still out there, and that's one of the reasons why he has so much power is this horde wandering horde of of trump trolls uh who they go they defame you they try to they try to attack you they try to like for me they uh they attacked my um my mole they called it my beauty mark and they tried to they tried you know they left like comment after comment after comment uh, and i just started saying like report and block you know report that's that's harassment bullying that's bullying and it is so that's why i uh, i've said many times before if you see something say something you know like uh if it can apply for air flights it should apply to keeping social media safe and uh, until our stupid ass lame congress um, does anything to protect us we gotta protect ourselves and look out for each other as well if you see somebody being bullied or harassed for their physical appearance and I did this for like uh, Jerry Nadler and um, (laughs) I was just thinking go Nadler and and uh at rep aoc you know people just go on there and they're just like uh you know they make threats they make threats on their uh and they make uh, personal attacks call them a piece of shit etc 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 and they're not these are uh, the best the best we got man those are fucking trolls trump probably russian trump trolls there's a couple million of them i heard just on twitter and as you may remember, remember when um, Mr. Fuckface Nazi ass dumb Trump uh, was so bummed out because Twitter sheds a, a couple million um, fake Twitter accounts. That's them. That's them. Okay. Understand by the mainstream controlled media that they're treated as authorities. They're treated as if their opinions are sacrosanct. And this is not really the way to create a healthy debate. So I wanted to start with that while we're talking about this stuff so that you can it's understand. Like it's, this, is a, this is a jock culture we live in. It's, you know, whereas uh, I don't think it's as bad as, as uh, Nazi Germany. Maybe not yet, but it's kind of getting there. It's getting there. And, um, you know, they've already started. They've, they've attacked kids put kids in cages on the border instead of letting in um refugees they disappeared them i think they went into a sex trafficking ring that uh is that mr trump was a part of 
because he was named as a co-defendant with Jeffrey Epstein, mind you, for abducting and raping 13-year-old girl. Look at the Katie Johnson case, 2016. Anyway, let's get back to the show. Why is that some of these very basic scientific data points that I'm going to be sharing with you haven't actually made it out into common mainstream awareness? So this because we're all being suppressed because information's being and suppressed. I wanted to start out this episode by talking about collective animal behavior that is due to source field communication. And we've all seen plenty of examples of this kind of thing happen. This is a form of genetic communication. It's a form of animal and all throughout nature communication that is energetic. By the way, I want to interject here that we share so much of the same gen uh, genetic, genetic material as all the other animals and plants, too. Plants are most like us. Um... And keep in mind something that I learned from initiation actually is what a great freaking program. That should be in the that should be in the public domain. That should be like PBS initiation. What a mind blowing <laughs> but evolutionary um series with Matthias de Stefano. But yeah, we share so much of the same genetic material with the other animals, like, like uh, obviously like bonobos and chimpanzees and gorillas. They're, they're like 99% the same genetic material, man. That's, they're our cousins, basically. Um, and um, we, we share so much, like with dogs, it's like 80%. Um, and there was like one of these skulls with an extended, you know, kind of like a conehead skull, kind of, the kind of, um, skull that was kind of I idolized for a while because I, as it seems to me that, uh, these quote unquote gods, who fell to earth, his fallen angels, as uh, they're talked about in the Bible, who mixed with with uh, human women, and uh, that's that's why we have to have like cesareans now. By the way, it's because those their babies are so big. They were giants. Was a there was a race, like uh, Gaia has been disclosing more than our government has, huh? Um, talking about how there were uh, a race of giants and reptilians and we're kind of a mix a mix of of all these different races you know I was I was thinking about how they in the textbooks they always say that um, the Neanderthals just died out somehow <clears throat> but actually they uh, fucked their way into the rest of the gene pool like my, myself and a couple of my friends who had the 23 and me we all had we all had a, a a goodly portion of neanderthal that's another thing they're not telling you there were many races 
on the earth at any given time. And just like now, there were some that were more like technologically advanced. And there were some that were less. It just, you know, like they stayed in the in the forest. And uh, I believe, I believe what happened was these so-called fallen angels uh, mixed. They they found the indigenous so-called uh, you know indigenous pop people peoples and um found that they were they were um mixable you know like and they had qualities that these fallen angels coveted probably um you know reproduction Apparently that's one of the reasons why so many people are abducted all the, you know, and, um, and that's why they, like the greys do experiments on us and often in families. The genetic memory part of the show is kind of coming up where we're going to talk <laughs> about how this is all embedded, but this is a good way to just sort of talk about something that's specific and I'm talking there was this about... there was this one time I wonder if he's like really stoned because there was this one time he started off one of these shows with uh you know like he was kind of like waving the 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 fog of smoke <laughs> and he made a joke about about getting high or you know not exactly in those words but hey what is that Get out of here. Whatever that is, get the fuck out of here. Um, um, but uh, in genetic memory, I wanted to interject that. Um, I believe strongly in genetic memory and a lot. And uh, in fact, I um, find it kind of hard to, you know, think about like past lives but I, I feel like I had I do have some genetic memories there's like one one it, it was from a dream I had uh, the one about in Croatia I believe it was in uh, Dalm Dalmatia Dalmatia because I've always had this thing about Dalmatians I just think they're the, just incredibly beautiful and the Dalmatians, as I learned from going there to the firm Yugoslavia, it's part of, it's next to Croatia, Dalmatia, Dalmas, oh, anyway. Um, in this dream I had, it was very vivid, like I felt like I, I was reliving the past. So basically, I think it's a genetic memory, not not so much a a uh, past life, like in the psychedelic sense of a you know just like a random past life. I think it's like genetically being related. You know, I, I do. Hey, get out of there! No. You know, I have ancestors. So it's one of my ancestors who was a teacher. 
and she felt very stuck and it's i can i can like feel and see the the surrounding it's it's like like foresty um environment and i've actually been to slovenia and that area croatia down and uh, i totally you know i totally felt it there gachawia um, it looks like Kochevia, K-O-C-E-V-J-E. I've actually been there, rented a car with some friends of mine, and we went there, and um, it was just like like in this in this dream. But I'm thinking, like, could even just be like the 1800s or something like that. Cause it was like a, a like a country schoolish sort of feeling, and I'm a teacher. And um, there's something wrong with, uh, I have like a, uh, what do you call it? You know, and for the first part of my life, I had a problem with my uh, right index finger. And so did my mom too, actually. My mom had like, uh, accidentally um, damaged her index finger, right index finger with a saw blade so she actually had something there too so it's they say in especially in like asian uh, culture whatever that's any like birthmark or um scar you know any any mark on your body is it's uh it goes to a past life it goes to something in the past life anyway so so I'm a teacher, I'm feeling frustrated and um, stuck, just like this feeling of being just being stuck and um, and being um, bullied, bullied for this this uh, this fault on my on my right index finger, and um, and then looking down and there's there's a puppy, a, a Dalmatian puppy, so that's how I know. That's how I know where it is because of the dog, a Dalmatian. It's a, it comes from that area, and so that's that's my genetic one of my genetic memory um, stories. I have another genetic memory story. This would be an interesting, um, like TikTok series. <laughs> another genetic memory story. I, I believe uh, I've always felt like I was a, a Roman senator's daughter, and uh, there's like a because I can, uh, and it I do have Italian blood, lots of Italian in me, and um, and uh, also a feeling of uh, kind of being for or. Just not valued in society, like taking a kind of shadow, but but in that position, I would have the ability, probably uh, ability to educate myself using the library that my family had. So I think that's like it. I was a Roman senator's daughter, and a Roman senator would have lots of lots of books or whatever around. Um, so uh, or learning to learn to read. And probably, I think, paint and uh, decorate the home or something, you know, like 
there was, uh, you know, people talk about Muslim, Muslim women being uh, isolated, so, you know, Greek culture and Roman culture, to, you know, all, all these cultures, women were not, actually not Swedish. There was a lot of freedom in Swedish culture for, you know, going back a thousand years, actually. Um, but Chinese, all the cultures, except for maybe the Nordic cultures where women were were um isolated um and uh kept kept at home and overly protected anyway so um that's another genetic memory and, and then a third genetic memory i have is as a um and this ties into uh i found out i have 0.01% Native American blood somehow. So, uh, you know, after doing a lot of research and and about my family history, which is tied to the, um, what's the name of the, the winter palace? I mean, the summer palace of the Pope. The, um, oh, shit. That's, that's on my, my Aunt Bobby's side of the family. They're tied to that uh, Castle Gandolfo, Gandolfo, which is an interesting connection. Gand Gandalf, isn't that amazing? That's like a magi you know magician. Gandalf was um, the character of Gandalf was based on a druidic magician, great magician. So, Merlin. No, sorry, I'm thinking of Merlin, but uh, Gandalf too is uh, based on. I believe like druidic tra uh, traditions. So, the, the thirds, uh, and um, uh, it, there are these like token trophy. Uh, it's kind of like a, you know I used to be I used to be very like fascinated with romantic historical novels where the the woman was was kidnapped maybe like a native american or uh and um, and kind of seduced seduced i was just i was used to be kind of like into that type of historical romance storyline narrative but um, you know, I'm sure it probably wasn't as uh, freaking um, glorified and glamorous and, and sexy as, as all that. Like Pocahontas, she was, she was kidnapped. And, um, you know, I'd, I've done a podcast about Pocahontas, by the way, I think like a year, year ago around Thanksgiving. Um, <clears throat> I should uh, maybe revive them. I can start... I'm going to start reviving some of my old, so-called old material, which is uh, very classic. Um, I've got some uh, podcasts about, uh, not, not just Pocahontas, but um, like my platform for indigenous people. So I think I'm going to pull that back up out of my little archives. Yeah, thanks, Anchor. Thanks, Anchor, for this is allowing me to basically archive my work because I keep 
getting shut down by social media platforms and to shut me up because but I'm not I will not be silenced I will not be silenced that's a great bumper sticker I will not be silenced so um so my point is that from best of my best of my knowledge I think it was a Mayan princess a Mayan priestess excuse me Mayan priestess which is probably a princess too but in the in that whatever the culture you know I don't think they they don't they don't have no I don't think they have nobility I don't think they do only only like like in Taiwan there's only one the Rukai the Rukai tribe in Taiwan that actually has some kind of like nobility or aristocracy or something um, that that just doesn't they're too democratic indigenous peoples are usually too democratic for that shit but um, I believe I was a priestess and that's one of the reasons why like my family is good with their we're green thumbs we're all good with growing stuff growing growing um, food and um, we're just with plants okay um, and my, you know, my father was, my grandpa was a nursery man until the day he died, until he couldn't get up and go down to the nursery anymore. <clears throat> um, and, uh, you know, he had a radio program and he taught at Connecticut Agricultural University. If that's the right way to describe it. But, you know, so in my family, um, my dad's side of the family But on my mom's side of the family is with the Gandolfo family, which has a Pope's summer residence, and that was taken away when uh, they when they went bankrupt. So the of course the fucking church absorbed that, and now it's the Pope's summer residence. Ha! <laughs> I've always joked. I've long joked about like for twenty years. This has been one of my jokes that uh, you know of getting it back, getting back my family, my family castle. That'd be nice to get my family castle back. My, uh, yeah, Gandalfo. Casa Gandalfo. Um, but yeah, so I, I believe I was like a, a, a token, kind of like a souvenir between the aristocrats after, uh, I think, Columbus. Like, they took, they not only took back food or different types of new food, like, t- like what? Potatoes, tomatoes, corn, etc., etc., etc. To the old worlds, but they also took people and uh, you know, like so-called like fine specimens or uh, good slaves or like house servants or or uh, or um, novelty, novelty, uh, which is what I would have been. Uh, I think I was like a priestess. I knew, I knew plants. And I, I can even I can even feel like uh, maybe I've, I've I've also felt a strong connection to this place. Um, but no, like Mayan. My first impression. I mean, I'm gonna stick to that. It was a Mayan priestess. Okay, like uh, kind of like a shaman, a woman, a female shaman, shamaness. You know, like um, 
not a witch doctor, a um, traditional folk medicine. You know, they know the plants. That's why I, I totally resonated with uh, the book about Rosie Arrigo being a an apprentice to a shaman, uh, curandero, curandero. Uh, they know the plants. They have the, like a mystical relationship with the plants. Plant teacher, they call it plant teacher, and um, he he curandero. He heal is a healer, a a traditional healer. Okay, so they know how to use plants to heal people and also to heal the spirit. You know, some sometimes and and uh, according to this book, and I I kind of I, I kind of believe this that uh, people can put a curse on you and uh, and so that's what these uh, folk healers used to do too is to to help people rid themselves of uh, curses that, that other people had put on them anyway so those are my some of my genetic memories if you have some genetic memories keep them to yourself haha <laughs> No, that's fine. That's great. You can send me a message if you want. You can try. <laughs> Collect the behavior of schools of fish and birds. And one of the things that various scientific studies have talked about is the fact that the way that the schools of fish turn is faster than the nerve conduction velocity would allow for. In other words, what that means is that you have the fish at the front and the fish at the back, the turning at the same time. They make sudden darting turns where the whole group moves as a collective whole. And there is a certain speed that is required for the impulse to go through the body to make the body turn. And in order for the fish to do this by visual sight, the fish in the back would have to see the fish in the front doing it. And then some of the fish are blocking them, so there would be a certain amount of time that's required for the movement to make its way to the back. And this is not what's happening. Now, another really fascinating thing that I find it greatly depresses me. So if you're watching this show and you know the study that I'm talking about, please send it in to us so I can use it in the show. There was a guy who I was talking to about this. Yeah, it's always some guy, right? There was a guy. Very and I was talking to him, but this is this is real. His father was really into this stuff. When he met me, he was totally psyched. Uh -huh. And what the guy told me was that his father had found a scientific study. I haven't been able to track it down yet. I've tried really hard. <laughs> oh my God. In which David. they had one fish from a school, the same breed, that was kept in a separate water container. And it was visually blocked off from the other fish. And yet what they found in this study was Genetic memory. that that fish in the container was making turns the same time that the rest of the school was, even though they what? had no visual contact and he's in a completely isolated I mean, they're like robotic water. So if you know that study, if you it's can find it fish. for me, please send it in. Because I've never <laughs> been able to track that down. I've tried really hard. <laughs> I bet you but have. But that kind of data can be interpolated just by looking at some of the go. bizarre behavior when you see a flock of birds and they act as if they're one organism and the same thing with a school of fish what's going on there this raises a very interesting idea which is that animals may in fact be actually sharing a collective consciousness they may not have individual thought and individual free will 
to the extent that we normally think. This is an example of something that is covered in mysterious detail in the Law of One series, which is this body of intuitively derived information I've talked about many times on this show, which to me is sort of like the central core of everything that I've built my work around ever since I started reading it in 1996. Oh. Oh. There was hundreds of specific scientific data points in there that they're either right or wrong, and I was able to go through and systematically prove them as time went on. One of the things that it says in the Law of One is that we live in a biological universe and everything is alive. We don't normally think of so-called inanimate matter as being alive, but it is far more impressed with life force than we normally attribute it to because everything is alive and everything is made of life force and living stuff. So anything that is a solid matter that we wouldn't think of as a single-celled organism on up, it still has living material in it in a way. And when you start bombarding that material, as I've said in other episodes, with second-density photons, as they're called, the second-density photons will actually start to rearrange the matter into microorganisms. And that's so-called spontaneous generation, which we now know does happen. So this is a new way of looking at the universe. It's a new way of looking at nature. It gives us a very different view than the conventional view. And when it comes to animals and just about everything in nature, the law of one says that they are, in fact, sharing a collective mind. So it's as if they are part of a pooled consciousness. And they are not simply responding to what's coming through their own eyes and their own senses. They are in some sort of collective overall consciousness that very much in many ways is more telepathic than human beings are now. When you see those schools of fish making sudden turns, there is one mind that's governing that school. It's not like what you would normally think where they have multiple groups that are, where each one has individual free will. It's like there is a single mind and when they get around each other, that mind becomes the predominant force. And one of the reasons why I really like this picture of the birds that you see here is notice the shape that they're making. It's a perfect equilateral triangle and there is a circle in the middle of the triangle. There's straight ahead sacred geometry suggesting again that the consciousness that is running them somehow is forming sacred geometry. Well, that makes sense because what I've been saying all throughout this show is that sacred geometry is the big secret. Consciousness creates geometry. A thought is a vibration, and vibrations are vibrating in a fluid medium. And when you vibrate a fluid medium, you get geometry, geometric patterns. That goes all the way back to Hans Jenny. We've done many episodes on this stuff. So these animals actually have some sort of sacred geometry that surrounds them, and they're all encompassed by it. This is where the Law of One teaching gets really interesting because they also then go on to say that when you take an animal to be your pet, whether it's a goldfish or an anole lizard or whether it's a dog or a cat or anything, a bird, what's happening there, they call it investment. They say you are investing your energy into the animal and specifically they say that 
the animal now has the opportunity, for the first time really, the opportunity to begin perceiving itself as an individual. And this creates individuation. Individuation is where the animal now is saying, I am hungry, the concept of I shows up for the first time, and I want you to feed me. This is what they call second density understanding, and the second density corresponds, of course, to the color orange, which is the second chakra. And remember, in the Law of One model, they have seven rays that created the universe. Each of these rays are what they call true color densities, meaning that there's a whole plane of existence generated by that level of vibration. And we're in third density, which means that there are three rays that are visible to us, and four, five, six, and seven are shooting through all the time, but we don't see the level of reality that they make. So first density, again, is earth, air, fire, and water, the basic elements. Second density is everything from single-celled organisms up to everything short of human beings. But normally in second density, you have a mind-body, and that's it. That's what they call it. Whereas we as humans are called mind-body-spirit complexes. It isn't until you invest in an animal and the animal starts to have an individual consciousness, it individuates, that it becomes what they call in the law of one a mind-body-spirit. And at this point, spirit has localized into that being and, the, and it has its own spiritual awareness. It has individual identity. But well, what does this mean? When animals work in group consciousness, they perceive what some have called the everlasting forest. They perceive that they are indelibly intertwined with nature and that when they instinctively want something to happen, it will be provided for them. The everlasting forest will generate their needs. So they end up in nature where they can feed easily and abundantly most of the time. And there's a great deal of instinct where if they can't get what they need, they will be intuitively guided to the place where the food is. And there's many, many examples of this. The Aborigines in Australia apparently work in much the same way where they tell nature that they want to have a meal and then a lizard will show up or something and they kill the lizard and eat it. And it's as if they are interwoven with nature and nature is taking these cues. So when we go back to those Baxter episodes, where like if the eggs in the nest are being broken, the mother bird hears that, hears the screaming of her eggs, and she comes rushing back to the nest. That's part of this same system I'm talking about. So in the sense of pets, what's happening is that the animal no longer can rely upon instinct for its feeding. It has to derive the idea that if I don't get this person, I, first of all, has to become a concept. There's no pack anymore. There's no tribe. It's just that one animal alone. So then you get the concept of I. If I don't get that person to feed me, then I am going to die. And this creates a spiritual evolution. This is the equivalent of an ascension experience for an animal uh, to, to go from cute. being offline from its individuality and just part of this telepathic group mind to then consolidating itself into an I am. I am hungry. I need you to feed me. And so as much as it might seem annoying when your dog or your cat is begging you for food, 
that shows that it has progressed to become a mind-body-spirit. And interestingly, the law of one also says that transmigration does take place. That when an animal becomes your pet, that is the last step that they will take before they reincarnate as a human being. Because once they become a mind-body-spirit, they have most of the tools they need to be able to reincarnate as human. They have individual awareness, they have feelings, they have sensitivity, they have compassion, and all those qualities are what is the gateway to allowing them to be ready to reincarnate as a human being. And I had a profound experience with this, again, with my cat Mandy, who was a very advanced little being, where after she died, she appeared to me in a dream as a beautiful young woman. And I saw her coming back in that form in her next lifetime. And she thanked me for having a part in her awakening and bring her to the point where she was ready to reincarnate as a human. And before she died, my mother was going way out of her way to try to keep the cat alive, including things like subcutaneous fluids and medical procedures to just prolong her life. And it was getting worse and worse because as I said, her paws were very sore and she couldn't walk anymore on them. It hurt her just to walk anywhere. And I was saying, Mom, if you understand the spirituality that I've been teaching, you buy into the law of one at least enough to take it partially seriously, then you should at least consider the possibility that this animal is going to come back as a human being. And that's a big, big deal. That's like the greatest birthday gift we could ever give her. And if we are artificially prolonging this cat's life, we're holding her back from graduation. Nature doesn't want this to be done. Nature isn't asking us to keep an animal on life support way past its normal organic death. And my mother finally relented and decided to stop doing the subcutaneous fluids. And sure enough, it was after that that I had this beautiful dream where the cat appeared to me as this gorgeous young woman with cat-like eyes and high cheekbones and she was so grateful and she cried and thank you so much for telling your mother to let me go because it, she was holding me back for a long time and I needed this to happen. So that was a very profound experience. So I promised you something else that was really bizarre and that is going to be showing you the interface between sheep and the actual consciousness of the earth. Now, this was something that showed up on Daily Mail, and I don't have the actual headline, but I just have the picture for you. That's all we really need. Check this picture out. This is unbelievable. These sheep were actually seen by a farmer forming into what you can see here is a perfect circle. And it's only a perfect circle when seen from the air. But it's not like it's an ellipse or it's sort of oval. No, this is a dead-on perfect circle from the air. And it appeared that the sheep very much enjoyed this, whatever the energy was. They liked it and they wanted to be there. So the interesting thing was that the farmer had enough time to take this picture. And then there was a loud noise. And when the loud noise happened, the sheep acted scared and they all ran off but then later on they completely rearranged into the exact same circular formation in the exact same location once again Positive vibes, so you're probably asking yourself what in the heck is going on here 
positive vibes. Well, let's not forget that the Earth itself has energy lines. This is something I'm going to be talking about in later episodes. They're called ley lines, and we're going to really, really get into this stuff. But the Earth is a living being, and it has sacred Send geometry. In, uh, you know, like and that's something, if, if, you, if you want to know... Put, if I were a billionaire, I'd be uh, putting some millions towards, you know, like a series, you know, create a series on Gaia, you know, put a, throw a million dollars on it to go, like, investigate the um, investigations... Uh, and uh, you know to fund these people that's that's what anthony west said that that we need we need if we if we had a billion dollars we need to spend it on pr basically to educate people about what's what's out there keep digging man that's what i always say before i get into it in these episodes you can go back and read my book the source field investigations and i talk about it extensively so in short, what we're seeing here is that the Earth has this same sacred geometry and some of this will include spherical energy fields where you're only seeing the cutaway at the middle of the sphere and those energy fields feel very nice to the sheep. The sheep want to be where it's warm, hypothetically speaking. It's not really a temperature, but it's a good feeling. It makes them feel good. So they gravitated towards where this grid vortex is. Now this is the kind of stuff that the secret government really doesn't want getting out there. They don't want people to learn about the grid. They don't want people to learn about the fact that certain areas have higher energy than others even though a lot of the major cities end up forming on vortex points because people like to be there. And I remember when I moved to Los Angeles from Kentucky, living in Kentucky, especially way out in the middle of the country, in the middle of nowhere, it, they're also apparently, um, you know, there are places where members of these races of race of giants, for example, are buried, and um, some of them were very good, like po like positive energy or whatever you want to call it. And some of them were very bad, so you evil negative energy, and so. Um, like Northern Ireland, there's there's like a, a bad one, like uh, um, there's also uh, any, any war zone like Middle East. Ouch. Uh, where else were some good or bad ones supposed to have been buried? The Middle East, definitely. Uh, this Michael Tassarian was talking about this. If you want to check into it, look into it more. Very slow. It was very dull. And then I was going to Los Angeles before I actually moved out there. And there was such a feeling of zinging energy and just things moving a lot faster. Everybody drives too fast in L.A., as I said in previous episodes. Well, guess what? One of the biggest energy nodes on Earth is south of Los Angeles. And so Los Angeles is right on the line. And these sheep are definitely responding to that. So this again shows a very curious example of collective behavior that you can't deny it. I mean, it's photographic proof and eyewitness testimony. This is another form of the same type of thing that allows animals to have a herd consciousness and all behave as a herd. 
except in this case, they're actually feeling the energy of the Earth. So now we're going to take a diversion which goes into the genetic memory, the real key of what I wanted to hit in this episode. The subject is how the actual consciousness itself, the personality, can be indelibly intertwined with the DNA. And specifically, I want to talk about organ transplants to get us started because there's been some amazing research done on organ transplants that you may or may not be aware of in terms of the fantastic amount of personality characteristics that carry over when there is a heart transplant. So this part of the talk is organ transplants causing changes in consciousness. And we're going to go into the work of Dr. Paul Pearsall, who is a scientist. about the really great book about this, like, what is it called? Like heart, heart love or something like that. Heart, um, but yeah, heart transplant patients. So they will take on, the heart is a, it has memory too. That's one of the major points from that book. The, um, so if you take your heart and put it in somebody else's body, then they will kind of like, say like if you mm, loved, if you were like a chocolate fiend, or oh, that's a bad example because a lot of people are would consider themselves chocolate fiends, but, or like a, uh, uh, I think one example was like uh, an intense fondness for classical music. They, they suddenly, after the heart transplant, they started to really have a passion for classical music like the person with the hearts whose heart they had. So anyway. And um, yeah, it's a it's there's the, like a brain in your heart and other cultures thought that that was where your like the seat of your spirit was i guess who has probably done more with this than anybody else he was working as a heart transplant doctor which is obviously a very difficult surgery to perform you have to cool people's body down so that they can get by without having circulation while the heart is removed. You have to crank the chest open. It's a very dangerous, complex procedure. Then you have to get the new heart in. The heart obviously is still beating while it's out of the body, so it's pretty gross. You gotta sew it all up, and you gotta hope that everything, you gotta put the blood back in. I mean, it's a big, big job. And so there is also the fact that the heart comes from a donor and people are very thankful that they got a new heart. There is a sense of wanting to know who the donor was because they want to thank the family of that person and say to that family, well, the heart that you lost is living on in me and so the person you lost hasn't been able to keep me alive. And that is something that is actually frowned upon. The experience of the medical establishment over the years has been that it is a really bad idea to reunite 
someone who got an organ transplant with the family of the people that the organ came from. And there's a couple different reasons for this. One of the reasons is that people who get a transplant and then meet the family of the person who died often end up feeling unworthy. They feel like they killed that person. They start to have profound guilt once they meet the people who lost the person who died. So they want to avoid that. There also can be complications where the person or people who were in the family that lost the person who died can actually end up feeling jealous and having resentment and negative emotions and feeling that the person who got the organ isn't worthy of receiving it. And this also can lead to very bad blood, pun intended, <laughs> that, uh, that's a bad one, that actually causes the person who got the organ again to feel really badly and feel guilty about being alive. So the collective wisdom of the medical establishment is you do not want the people that got the organs to know where their organs came from. But Paul Pearsall was one of the pioneering scientists who started to notice some very strange personality changes happening in people who got organ transplants. And more than anything else, although there's various examples of this, the heart transplant in particular is one of the most dramatic examples. Now, these changes happen in a subtle way. It's not anything overt and groundbreaking on the surface. But for example, you have a person who never liked the taste of mustard before, then they get a heart transplant and they start craving mustard and it becomes their favorite food. Then Paul Pearsall has access to the original file of the person who gave the transplant in the first place, the donor of the organ, and finds out, wow, look, this person was absolutely a fan of mustard and was obsessed with having mustard. So there's a variety of really fascinating character transfers in which memories are transferred over. People remember things that they didn't remember before. Their whole personality changes in very dramatic ways. Their tastes change, their preferences change, their habit patterns change. Very specific, distinct things go on. So one of the examples that we're going to talk about right now is a middle-aged man, and I'm using some silly graphics here, some silly photographs to kind of make this more fun. A middle-aged man who was uptight and conservative and, you know, drove his car too slowly and really didn't have much libido anymore and listened to classical music and just kind of had a sleepy late middle-aged life. And then he was given the heart of a teenager. And his personality changed so much that they eventually did the casework and traced back to who the heart came from. His heart actually made him start to want to listen to rock and roll music, which he'd never listened to before. He started to want to go speeding in his car, driving fast, and he was lusting after young women. All this was brand new. The next example that we have, I had a lot of fun with this one. A conservative woman, and of course I've put Ann Coulter up here as the example of a conservative woman. She, she hadn't had sex with her husband in a long time. She had very conservative values, and she actually ended up getting the heart 
That's right, of a prostitute. Now, there's a no sex policy on Guy MTV, so I'm pushing the envelope here a little bit. But <laughs> anyway, she started to want to have sex with her husband compulsively multiple times a day. And he actually made the very bad mistake. If you've ever been married or in a deep relationship, you know what I'm talking about. He actually was dumb enough to say to his wife, Boy, it's like you must have gotten the heart of a whore. Well, that didn't go over very well. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, what ended up happening was that they did the research and found out that she had actually gotten the heart of a woman who was a prostitute. So we started off in this episode talking about skeptics and talking about how they're trying to debunk all this stuff. And the data that I've showed you here is an example of something that cannot be denied, cannot be refuted. And we're starting to see now that there may be an organized effort to deny us this knowledge. There may be a cabal in place that doesn't want you to know what I just told you. Why would they be threatened by this? What are they concerned about? Well, there's a lot of different answers to that question. And part of it comes down to if we start to understand wanna, that there is... They want us to... Um, I'll try to answer that. They don't want us to feel like we're all together one, you know, one love, as Bob Marley would say. They want us to be uh, split up, apart from each other, and feeling... Uh, alone in the world and therefore more likely to turn to whatever self-drugs, self-medication or religion just another type of drug memory, that memory is implanted into our cells and we start to understand as I've been discussing that animals share a collective consciousness then we begin to have the potential to remember our own power to see what we're capable of, and to see where this is going. To see that we could become far more telepathic, remote viewing could become practiced on a larger level once it's taken seriously, because anybody can learn it. And what happens once you can do remote viewing? No more classified secrets. No more secrecy of any kind. Anybody can go anywhere with their mind and gather information. Nothing can be hidden from us. And that's what's happening. It's this grand awakening. So when we come back in the next episode, we're going to have more examples of genetic memory, including a highly, highly bizarre story about two identical twins separated at birth who may just happen to be rednecks. And it's very, very bizarre what happens and how the memories between them carry over. And then from there, we're going to continue to build this model with lots of scientific data that you can tell your friends and family, proving that this much greater cosmic dimension to our humanity is an intrinsic part of who we are. And the more that we learn that, the farther along we can go. That's coming up next time here on Wisdom Teachings. I'd smoke a bowl with that dude. Humanity is an intrinsic part of who we are. And the more that we learn that, the farther along we can go. That's coming up next time here on Wisdom Teachings. I'm your host, David Wilcock. And I thank you for watching. Well, thanks for tuning into the Trista Show. And you can follow me on social media if you want. I just did a part one of uh, things the government doesn't want you to know.
In fact, maybe I'll maybe I'll play that. So I got five minutes left. I've been start doing like fifteen second um, TikToks these days. Maybe I'll start doing that. Like uh, you know, in my try to have a daily show and put in my put in my daily TikTok in there. So yeah, you can follow me on TikTok, Christopher Congress, Christopher Press, Christopher Genova. I uh, Christopher Genova. That's what I'm on now. Here we go. Follow the more. The government don't want you to know part one. We're two thirds divine. We're all mixed race. They don't call the reptilian brain for nothing. They intentionally poisoned our food, air, and water to dumb us down. And keep us under their control. Follow the more. The government don't want you to know part one. We're two thirds divine. We're all mixed race. They don't call the reptilian brain for nothing. They intentionally poisoned our food, air, and water to dumb us down and keep us under their control. Follow for more. The government don't want you to know part one. We're two thirds divine. Okay. Anyway, so that's my little 15 seconds. TikTok. Okay, TikTok. This one is, um, I did it with a uh, duet with Amy Two Feathers. People uh, above. This is only for people above 50. And um, I have my, my cat here. I duetted it. She's got her hand on her over face. I have a cat. Years old. cat. Colonel Spaz. All of you people born in the 1960s or earlier. Let's see your faces in the video. 1970 never felt better. And quite frankly, older I get, the less ducks give up. <laughs> I'm doing like a... That's some awesome dab. Roots dab in the background. And I'm doing like B-52s. Dance. <laughs> Christopher Senate Govan Prez. And it's feeding time around here. It's Ricky Southwest. I just want to say there's plenty for all. There is no scarcity. This planet and Mother Nature provides us with everything we need. So treasure it, cherish it. Be the change. change. Be the change you want to see. Christopher Prez. And it's feeding time around here. It's Ricky Southwest. I just want to say there's plenty for all. There is no scarcity. This planet and Mother Nature provides us with everything we need. Treasure it, cherish it. Be the change. change. You want to see. Guess the name of this awesome, really talented pop singer. There's like a pit bull puppy eating and a duck behind him. It says, guess the name of this awesomely talented hashtag pop singer, hashtag songwriter, hashtag rapper, hashtag artist from these clips of duck, cat, pit bull, duh, and then hashtag doja cat and win a prize. Hashtag FYP. <laughs> um, three likes. Probably two of those are from myself. Um, but yeah, I put plastered all of these all over social media. Instagram, Facebook. Um, I, I don't have Twitter set up right now. Hi there, I'm Christopher Senate Gavin Prez. We need to warrior up. You must have noticed by now. The Democrats are doing jack. To bring to justice the GOP traitors of January 6th. So get off your turkey butts 
and call Congress and call the White House. Hi there, I'm Tristan for Senate Gavin Perez. We need to warrior up. You must have noticed by now, the Democrats are doing jack to bring to justice the GOP traitors of January 6th. So get off your turkey butts and call Congress and call the White House. And I gave the number for uh, treason, justice for January 6th, White House 202 <laughs>